From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus and Billy Penn. With me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Hello, Justin. Happy Friday. What a fun, empty Thursday it was with no Phillies game to dread or discuss. Uh, the narrative of the day was the Braves celebrating at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, the innocuous quote given by Rob Thompson that bordered on cliche and then exploded into the news of the day as Braves fans feasted on whatever they could find that appeared to be humiliation, shame, uh, disagreement, what what have you, from the Phillies side. So they could, they could do the age-old, well, if you don't want people celebrating in your stadium, simply beat them argument. Just a real fun boatload of stuff to discuss on an off day, but fortunately we don't we won't spend our entire episode on that. Uh, first, Liz, I wanted to get to something else, and that was your favorite umpire, Angel oh. Hernandez. Yay! <laughs> now we I haven't mean, had a ton. Had to, someone had to take the place of Joe West in my heart. We haven't had a ton of Phillies-related run-ins with Angel Hernandez this year. Not that I can remember. I know there have been plenty of games where uh, home plate umpire has been messing up calls or blowing calls, even in the Braves series uh, when Zach Wheeler was pitching. There's been there's been some moments. Uh, it's not like the Phillies have been without run-ins with umpires this year, but that's largely not really a big subplot of the 2023 season. And that's very fortunate because umpires like Angel Hernandez are out there. And according to the account Umpire Auditor, which um, measures, rates, charts, and graphs the individual performances of umpires across baseball on a a nightly basis, uh, umpire Angel Hernandez called the worst game of the season yesterday and the worst game since April 2022. He only had to make 92 calls, but he missed 16 of them for a correct call rate of 82.6%. That's certainly the lowest one of those I've ever seen. Typically, even on a bad night, you're looking at a guy who's like 95, 96% uh, correct in his calls. 82.6, Elizabeth, you're not even trying at 82.6%. That is... That is so bad. I just had to go back and check. I was like, wait, maybe it's 86.2. That's still really bad, but at least it's higher. Nope, it's 82.6% of the calls he got correct. That's that you're you're not even trying to be a good umpire at that point. And that's the Angel Hernandez argument. The age-old thing that I've seen like just reading back even even decades ago when Joe West and Angel Hernandez were both umpiring um as younger slimmer men um they the problem people had with these two guys was a they were on the same crew so that was a problem because they're both you know flamboyant or attention seeking or bad at being umpires uh but in in their individual cases managers hated joe west because they believed he had learned and was capable of being a very good umpire he just chose not to because he preferred the spotlight he preferred attention he preferred to stir people up because that's the kind of guy he was uh and for that reason he was considered worse than hernandez hernandez is considered just 
an incompetent umpire. And he has been for quite some time. Uh, fortunately for him, the calls were he, he got so wrong were happening in a Pirates-Nationals game, so that wasn't going to matter to anyone too much. Uh, but three weeks ago, he was on blast for strike calls that both booths of a Braves-Giants game were both objectively confused about on the air. Just saying, like, well, I don't, I don't know what's going on anymore. These calls are like three, four inches outside the strike zone. I mean, this is a guy who's been at this for a long time. Are you, at the, at the very least, just grateful that, given that Angel Hernandez, uh, an already bad umpire, is having a career bad year, are you grateful at all that the Phillies haven't, you can't really chalk up a lot of their problems to an umpire like Hernandez impacting a game? I mean, of course, no one is, <laughs> no one wants their, no one wants their umpire to, uh, to do this to them, uh, especially because it's just, it's out of their control. You know, they can theoretically control what, you know, what their bat does, what their body does, you know, all that stuff, but they can't control what the umpire thinks and his word is God on the field. So yeah, I've, I've been so grateful that there hasn't been a lot of that. There hasn't been a lot of jawing back and forth that's resulted in um, ejections. Like, there have been a couple of notable ones, but that's, you know, normal for every team. I, I can't think. remember. Who, you know, there hasn't who, been, like, a consistent storyline with it. Right. And I can't even remember who the last Phillies player or coach or manager to get ejected was this year. I know it's happened. I think it was Schwarber and Bohm, I think, have both gotten ejected at different times. That's right. Bohm did get ejected. That's right. Yeah, it's uh, it's very you are you are fortunate again when you get reminders like this that Hernandez is still out there. And, you know, I know we we continue to question when it comes up why the umpires union is so strong and so formidable. Uh, and then, you know, if that were to be the case, then it's like, all right, look, I, we can't change that. That's apparently just a part of baseball that the umpire umpires union can be as um, in. in withstanding as it is um but if this is what you get you know like okay you guys get to have the most powerful union so what do we get we get really good umpiring no no you get angel hernandez You're like that well that's not a fair deal obviously we're going to have questions about this and uh hernandez himself has had a few questions it was about a month ago that his somewhat famous discrimination case against mlb was once again lost in a federal appeals court uh, when they refused to reinstate his case. He alleged that uh, Hernandez was discriminated against because he had not been assigned to the World Series since 2005 and that he had been passed over for crew chief. And when this, you know, when we get reminded that this lawsuit has been an ongoing thing for a couple of years, everyone like obviously has jokes, but at the end of the day, you really come down on two things. The two things can be true idea, which is that, yes, it's entirely possible and believable that he's being discriminated against by a, an organization like Major League Baseball. It's also entirely true that Angel Hernandez is a horrible umpire. And at this point, you know, when, when you have like last night's performance, the three weeks ago performance, various other performances of Angel Hernandez just coming from this year, I mean... This this is starting to tilt in the direction of, oh, no, you're like incompetent. But I also you'd have to ask, is incompetence really a reason for Major League Baseball to prevent umpires from going to the World Series? There are other incompetent umpires out there. I don't have those numbers in front of me. But at this point, Liz, you know, it, it, it's kind of just tough timing, I would say, for a guy who's like, why am I not getting more honorable assignments? And they're like, because look at you. Look at you having yeah, the worst career of any umpire. It's It's just unfortunate. Really, because I, I honestly, 
don't doubt that there is an some aspect of racism baked into it because there's an aspect of racism baked into everything. Um, but it, it's just unfortunate that he's just so bad. He's on the bad end. Like I'm just sort of so, just kind of you know breezing through uh, Ump scorecards. Uh, the that uh, account, and I'm just sort of zipping through and just looking. Like there are a lot of umpires that are new that are very good that are like in the the mid to upper 90s pretty consistently you know guys even like older dudes that we know remember hunter wendell stat who's been around forever as his his as as his father uh his father was also an umpire uh dj rayburn also good. He had like a, what is it? I mean, these aren't like God or anything, but he had an accuracy, overall accuracy, uh, Braves Phillies on September 14th of 97%. His, like he had like two balls that were sort of in his strike zone. But like you look at, looking at these cards, at least I really enjoy looking at the estimated ump zone because that sort of gives you a real, um idea of how consistent they're being you know because you look at I, I was looking at a a bunch of the ones from angel hernandez and they're all wacky they're all a plot <laughs> rorschach like they're all really weird and so like i find that at, oh my god there's one from september 2022 here where it's literally just like a like a the long moon from one of Jean Moreau's paintings. It's just like a long moon. In like that's not a strike zone, man. That's not a strike zone. What is that? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I, it just it, it goes to. Show. I mean, I said that we've been fortunate this year that there haven't been a lot of any negative high profile interactions with Angel Hernandez and the Phillies, but then I remembered and I had to check. I was like, wait, was it this year that there was that video of him leaving the stadium while a fan yelled at him uh, for missing 19 calls <laughs> and having an accuracy rate of 85.3%. But oh. that was last year. That was April, 2022. And also the guy who took the video was like clearly doing it to, to have content. You know, he, he put, he put it immediately on Twitter and was tagging all these local media outlets going like, look, I yelled at Angel Hernandez. Like, Great job, dude. I'm sure he's going to be a better umpire in the future. I'm sure this. Yeah, all I'm sure problems. that helps. Way to go. <laughs> Wait, listen, uh, uh, I wish I knew more about the umpires union simply out of curiosity, really, at this same. point. I really just want to know all of, you know, some of these details just for the sake of knowing it. But mostly just to sort of have a better understanding of their processes to understand what keeps Angel Hernandez uh, in there for so long um you know he doesn't get the plum assignments obviously and i think there's a reason behind that but you know a, a union is there to protect all of its play you know all of its members you know both the very best and the very worst you know because there's a spectrum in every pool of workers there's the very best and the very worst they all deserve protection um and i would like to sort of understand more what their processes are as and I think this is just like my eight to 10th to 15th year of saying this into a microphone mm -hmm. or on the internet or whatever I would just like because that lawsuit I got a little bit you could uh through discovery Angel Hernandez's lawsuit went through some aspect of discovery and uh I saw some of their CBA and I'm like I need more 
<laughs> I need more of this. I wish I remember what it was. I have it uh, on a hard drive somewhere so I don't ever lose it. But yeah, I just want more someday. Someday when a book comes out about this, it's going to be the most interesting baseball book I'll ever. Because it's not going to, you know, the baseball books that typically come out on a year-to-year basis are like, oh, I was the beat writer for this team's magical postseason run, or this guy retired and I got to, you know, I co-authored his memoirs with him. No, no, no. I want the book that's going to be about, like, this is why umpires have a weird little club that protects them from being fired even when they suck. Like, this is what goes on behind the curtain of this union. I would love to yeah because just out of curiosity at this point i've accepted it as reality that guys like angel hernandez are just going to be part of the game at least until they perfect robot umpiring but like this is yeah i kind of want to see what's going on in the background do the other umpires like angel hernandez do they like how he makes all umpires look by being terrible who's to say i would love to i would love to know i would love to know the dynamics at play there yeah. But speaking of dynamics at play, uh, we had no umpires to blame Ooh. for that Brave series. Well, you could blame an umpire a little bit for what happened in that Brave series. I like but, your segue. Uh, mostly, you could uh, you you could blame the Phillies for you know getting close but not winning two of the games they lost that were very winnable for them. And because they didn't split, which was the only thing they needed to do was win two out of four games to prevent the Atlanta Braves from clinching the National League East division title on their field. They couldn't do that. They couldn't do that, and they lost three out of four games. And so the Braves did what every team in the history of division-winning teams has done. They ran out onto the field, and they celebrated. Phillies put a nice little congratulatory message on the Jumbotron. You don't like to see it. you don't need to do that. I don't understand why do you it. do that. No, you don't. They're why? Not, they're not the fir- they're not the first team to do that. That's a corporate mandated thing that just you know you That's do that. So it's dumb. whatever. No, yeah, they're it's gonna, dumb. Like, I don't it, like it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just it's just another one of those things that got us to the point where they invited a Mets fan to throw out a first pitch at our stadium. No, that's different. I totally, I'm totally on board with uh, hating that. That was a choice. That was a series of choices the Phillies yes, made that pr- that that showed that at least one person involved in that process is completely ignorant to how sports and fandom work. So that's different to me. This, I assume, is just like, they're not going to, at the end of the day, who cares? They lost the game. I this know, is the frustrating just, part. They they the lost the game. So I don't much. like seeing it either. I don't yeah, like, I don't I mean, like, you know, all you can do is sit in the stands and boo. And then, you know, all you're doing then is letting Acuna turn around and taunt you as even more. So yeah, like, and with, he can what, do that. His, they won. His, <laughs> his millions of dollars, like, and like giant chains hanging around his neck, like, boo. He's like, and <laughs> all right. Yeah. I mean, maybe if they'd thrown, my teammates if they'd thrown some, go uh, back to my, <laughs> If they'd thrown some garbage on the field, there's a chance the Braves might have felt more at home because that's what their fans <laughs> like to do. So maybe maybe that's what we should have done. But I don't know. At the end of the day, the Braves won. The Phillies lost. The Braves won the NL East. The Phillies are trying to stay in the top spot for the wild card. Uh, Long term, doesn't really feel like after even like a rough series like that with all the other wild card teams continuing to lose, the Phillies aren't in a super precarious spot. You know, it's as desperate as September baseball gets, but everyone is pretty still confident that they're going to the postseason. That's not really a concern. It's more of a matter of at which seed will they enter the postseason. 
But all that got tossed out the window. That wasn't the discussion people wanted to have on the Phillies off day. No, no, no. It was the WIP asked Phillies manager Rob Thompson uh, what he thought about the excitement of the Braves, who are very demonstrative when they celebrate home runs and stuff, which, again, if you don't want to see that, don't give up home runs. It's it's what everyone says. Uh, but there's one part of one quote that got highlighted, which we talked about uh, on a different show, which was when Rob Thompson said, like, I like, I you know, I prefer to see guys, like, when guys act like they've been there before, as far as, like, celebrating like that, which is not even, like... <laughs> I'm sure it's his opinion, but it's such a cliche response. Like you read it off a flashcard. It's whatever. Rob Thompson is the last guy on earth. I would expect to be to, to seek out being the middle of some kind of drama, some kind of off the field drama, some sort of tabloid drama. But uh, tragically, that's exactly what he became. Acuna respond responded and was like, oh, you know, just admire it. Blah, 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 blah. I don't have that quote in front of me. It's not important. It's exactly what everyone was saying, including Phillies fans who were like and me. It was like, yeah, you know, if you do you want them to act like they've been there before? A, the Phillies celebrate demonstrably all the time. Uh, and secondly, if you don't want them to do it, you got to beat them. And, you know, that's that's the end result. But there was more to that quote than got circulated. And that it turned into a little <laughs> was like extra obnoxious, a little cherry on top of losing that series to the Braves. And before you respond, I just want to give the full quote just for the con- for yep. context. Go ahead. Uh, he was asked by... Uh, Joe DiCamara of WIP, uh, who was talking about like, oh, it really bothered me to see them celebrating when they were going around the bases. Uh, and did it bother you to see the level of celebration that they took it to during the game on the field? Which, see, the question wasn't even about the postseason celebration. It was about when they hit home runs. So, you know, um, no. I don't did think people, people even think had that, that context. Was about the postseason celebration? No, no. I'm, from people, what I can tell, were, that happened before the that happened before the Braves clinched. I know because I wrote about it. I had to write about this for Yahoo Sports, and I had to I had to say, Rob Thompson, stop it. But there was a whole bunch more I wanted to write that I didn't get a chance to, and I could say it here. Well, what he said was, yeah, I'm kind of old school. I like guys, too, and I think our guys do a good job of acting like you've been there before. That's what celebrating like that, what a lot of guys in this league do. I'm not necessarily a fan of it, but that's just the way the game has gone. Does it bother me? Eh, you know, I can't control it. So it is what it is. I try to temper that with our guys. And like I said, I like our guys to act like they've been there before. So what got taken from that was him saying, I like our guys to act like they've been there before. And of course, that's the only thing that people ran with. Um, But it obviously turned into a whole bunch of dramatic crap. And uh, yeah, it just, it kind of, Going into today, it's like, all right, the Phillies are going to play it again today. You got to put that in the rearview mirror. It just kind of made the whole series, like, it was just an ugly series. And I really hope the Phillies use that as an opportunity to, like, bounce back and go down and beat up on the Cardinals, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, uh, yeah, for now, it was just another tabloid mess that was needless and useless and didn't help anything. Okay, so I have I have a bunch to say about this. The first thing is that, I like our guys to act like they've been there before is just a way of, I mean, it's just a cliche. It me it means almost nothing. I kind of wish that uh, he just coaches, athletes in general rely on cliches and familiar phrases to describe how they're feeling because it's easier than actually describing what they actually feel. And so I want, mm-hmm. that's sort of the first thing. The second thing is it referred specifically to Acuna's 
uh, home run celebration while he was running the bases, which is not something the Phillies do. The most they do is like they put up a hand towards the bullpen, and that's it. Acuna was waving his arms like a bird. Um, Hang on, though and- they do the they do the celebration for Major League Two when they get on base as well. That's that's well, yeah, but- also one of their moves. Well, no, of course, but what I'm talking about here is I think. He was referring specifically to Acuna's celebration doing a home for the home run. Just, that's what I took from it because I listened to the whole thing and I still just wrote about and I still just used the basic quote, the our guys, you know, I like our guys to act like they've been there before because the rest of the quote to me doesn't change too much of it. You know, I think he was talking about something more specific, but regardless, he said that phrase twice. He said it two different yeah, times but it, in his quote. And that's if, just if the what's part of the be quote, taken. If the part of the quote that got circulated was the part where he said, eh, you know, I can't control it, so it is what it is, people would have had a completely different take on the manager's response to the Braves. So I feel like there, you did, not you, people did pick and choose which part of the quote was going to be, like, the highlight, and they did that for a reason. They did that to stir up exactly the conversation we're having now. Yeah, that's true. But I, I at least want to say I, I think the response is at least defensible in somewhat defensible in that specific context because people are, I think, taking it to mean about, you know, excess, the Braves' excessive celebration, you know, all the time. And I think it was just when he's running the bases, he flaps his arm like a bird. You know, our team does not do that when they, when they run the bases for, the, for a home run. They don't have a particular celebration. They just hold their arm up as opposed to Acuna flap, literally flapping his arms like a bird when he's going, when he's running the bases. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of dumb looking, but I don't hate that it exists, but I sort of get what he means. It is not something the Phillies do. I just wish he'd put it better. (laughs) Well, in any case, I I feel like it was just it, it was just something that Braves fans ran with so that they could do a victory lap uh, because nothing I, I didn't see anybody who was they like need yeah more victory laps and everybody was just kind of like yeah I mean if you don't want to see that then you should beat them and that's kind of where everybody was at by the end of that series uh, I did hear Eno Saris on the Athletics three and O show was talking about how, you know, oh, you got a problem with that? Well, you have to you have to separate. People think like they see a team celebrating and they think they're mad because the team is celebrating, but they're mad that they lost and the team is celebrating because they won. And like how you have to separate the celebration from your loss because they're two different things. But no, they're, they are not. Like celebrate all you want. Celebrate all you want. You earned it. Dance around, you know, dance around the field. Celebrate your home run. Like, whatever, you know, whatever part of it you want to, whether it was a single play in the middle, however you want to play. Play that way. You're a great team. Play that way. But I don't know why we, we, we suddenly are in this psychological theater as though an opponent celebrating isn't annoying. I mean, it's part of it. I was talking to somebody about this earlier. Oh, why are you obsessed with the Mets failing? Because that's part of my fandom as a Phillies fan. Yeah. We play in... <laughs> Listen, we play in a division. If they got rid of divisions, we'd probably still hate them, but we'd hate other teams now the same amount. We would find new ways to hate them. But, like, this is part of, like, you fight in the division. These are the teams you play the most, that they have played the most historically over the past, you know, two decades. So, you know, I I don't get that. You are supposed to be annoyed when 
when you're one of your rivals is celebrating their win in your stadium. Yeah. They're, right? they're dunking on wrong. you. They're like, like, like their star was out there mocking the fans. I mean, Hey, good on yeah. him. That's, that's a great move. I hope somebody gets to do that to Braves fans at some point. Uh, but like, it. yeah, there's nothing, to, nothing to argue with there. They won. You have no ammo. They won. They have, they, they have all of it. Um, but they yeah, at the same won. time, the I don't could have won at any moment and they did not. At the same time, I just don't like, why are we pretending that that, no, that's annoying. Even the most well-adjusted sports fan would sit there and watch the other team celebrating and be like, well, I'm a little miffed about this. I am not enjoying this. This sucks. And that's perfectly natural. So I don't get why we have to pretend like, oh no, it's, it's fine. And those two separate things and you know, psychology 101 and blah, blah, blah. No, it's sports fandom. This isn't about psychology. It's about passion. <laughs> like it's about guttural responses to basic actions down below that we have paid hundreds of dollars to see live. <laughs> well, hopefully the Phillies uh, can put this series and this whole dumb thing behind them. Um, I'm sure us talking about it on our show helps, but in any case, they were they had an off day yesterday before they uh, play the Cardinals uh, for a weekend series. Uh, but in the in the interim, there were some moves in baseball. There was uh, some some stories that surfaced coming out of Boston was the big story of the day. <laughs> Boston Red Sox GM Hyam Bloom was let go after four years and two last place finishes for the Boston Red Sox. Bloom was Dave Dombrowski's successor, current Phillies president of baseball operations uh, in Boston after Dombrowski was fired in 2019. Jeff Passan wrote that Bloom brought small market success with Tampa Bay as the antithesis to the swashbuckling Dombrowski. Methodical, patient, and ready to build, rebuild a farm system while still succeeding in the major leagues. The firing was reportedly a surprise to those in the Red Sox organization, with owner John Henry saying recently that Bloom helped set them up for the future. He will largely, as we all know, be remembered for the Mookie Betts trade, for Xander Bogarts leaving Boston, his inability to lock these players up. Though I will say, Liz, I mean, well, let's just start with that. Uh, like that, the, Right now, it seems like everybody jumped on that narrative as soon as word came down that he had lost his job and was really quick to say, oh, actually, you know what? That was John Henry. That was on the owner. Like he told Bloom, your job is to find a way to trade him, uh, trade this superstar so to, to cut payroll. And so Bloom doesn't necessarily deserve the brunt of the blame for that. Like if you were going by the headlines yesterday, you'd have thought that Bloom was the most wonderful man who ever lost his job, which, you know, all these people coming out and saying, I had this great interaction with him. I had this great interaction with, with him, players, reporters and reporters. That's, that's kind of the important one here. Um, but basically I think at, he was just, he was smart enough in his role to be good to the media. And now the media is returning the favor. There is a lot of positive press out there for Hyam Bloom, who was largely just complained about by Red Sox fans for a long time until like yesterday when he was let go. So let's just start here. Liz, your general Hyam Bloom take as a guy who, who came to the Red Sox, uh, was viewed as the author of some really gutting deals that sent star players elsewhere and the overseer of four underwhelming years in Boston. I actually caught this post on uh, on Yahoo Sports yesterday as well, so I've given this quite a bit of thought. Um, I, I have no sympathy for him. He was hired... <laughs> I have no sympathy at all. Um, he was That's hired... That's awesome. I love where this is going already. Yep. He was hired from the Rays... 
because he was able he and Andrew Friedman, um, who left I think about four years before he was before Blue moved on, uh, to the Red Sox, they put together a lot of teams that were built on a shoestring, but competed at the highest level. That is why he was hired. That is why Bloom was hired by John Henry and company. And Bloom took the job knowing that. He took the job knowing what he had to have taken the job knowing that they expected him to trade Mookie Betts, that they wanted him to stay under the luxury tax threshold, tax threshold. You know, that the focus was going to be on the farm system and rebuilding that. Like, like the saying we also expected success on the field is just, it, it, I mean, like, as Mark Normandine said in his, uh, in his uh, left, leftist baseball newsletter, which I encourage everyone to subscribe to on Patreon, $5 a month, completely worth it. Uh, he said John Henry fired Bloom because he can't fire himself. You know, John Henry doesn't want to fire himself, though. No, like it's, that no. kind of that, ma- that makes it sound like he, his his priority is like, oh, a good baseball team with players people want to see that cost whatever they cost. Like that's that's not that, that sounds like he's he's his own obstacle, which from our view, maybe he is. But in his own view, I can't imagine that's the case. No, no. But like that's it's sort of the like. The narrative is that, you know, Bloom was given little resources and made the best of them. And what what did you expect? You know, and, you know, he and John Henry said himself in the statement where he announced the firing of Bloom yesterday that he, you know, revitalized our um, internal structure, especially in the minor leagues. And yet and he's still being sent his walking papers because they've they finished their job there and they've decided they want. I mean, maybe they want to win. We don't know what the next step is, but you have to assume firing Bloom means one phase of something is over. Uh, And I'm interested to see what that is for the Red Sox because people are assuming that it's great. I'm like, I don't know. Like, unless they're ready to spend more money, they just have no hope of competing. Right? You agree? Yeah, I mean, Jeff... Jeff Pass, I yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but Jeff Passan put on his uh, fighting gloves this morning. Uh, you know those fingerless Great. knuckle covers that he uses when he's feeling scrappy. Uh, and he tweeted over the 15-year stretch during which they won four World Series here uh, were the here were the Boston Red Sox's payroll ranks in those years: second, second, third, first. Over the last four years, they have been under the CBT three times, and their payroll this year is 11th. But it was the GM's fault. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you need to necessarily. I think this is passing, kind of playing to his audience a little bit, uh, well, and I think yeah. they're largely just see, well, it, it, seeing this here. Go ahead. I was to say this that narrative. There's these are there's two narratives right now, and there's one that appeals that one to the uh, to the sort of the the basic lowest level of quote unquote smart baseball people. It's the you could go one step from where you are to see the connection, you know, to see the reasoning. The other narrative is if Bloom didn't want to do it, why was he there? Why was he there? He could have gotten a job right. anywhere else. And like, it, for anyone to assume that, like, oh, he wasn't given the resources, like, he was given the resources he expected to have. He knew what the expectations were. He knew he was going to have to trade bets. And he knew that 
that he was going to have to retain one of their big stars down the line, but they got outbid on they got outbid on Xander Bogarts because they refused to put enough money into it. If that was looked at as Bloom's fault, that's the ownership's decision. They're the ones that gave him those, you know, those restrictions. But Bloom is the one that went out there and presented them. He never had to do that at any point. Right. They didn't want to be dominant. They wanted to be cute. And that kind of uh, roster management can drive you up the wall. You know, we the know. Rays have been have been successful at, at uh, a type of baseball like this. And 29 other teams have all at, at least considered operating in the same capacity because they see it working to an extent down there. The Rays still don't have a World Series title, by the way. Uh, but they mm-hmm. see, see them fielding these competitive teams with a with a potent farm system. And obviously that's going to have some appeal. Um, but I do think that the attempt to do so across baseball, like not every team can operate that way. So, so the attempt to emulate that everywhere, I think the Orioles are targeting that as the way they want to function in the future too, just because the owner doesn't want to be throwing $150 million deals out every, every time he wants to keep somebody. And I don't know. It just seems, it seems lazy almost, you know, like you could make the argument that throwing a ton of money at superstars is maybe lazy, but uh, when when does this? Here's another example of this not working because it's got to go perfectly is the thing. Uh, but that being said, I think the the thing Bloom did, and I mentioned this earlier, but one one of the better things he did for his future employment was he was good to the press, and if you're good to the press, they'll be good to you. Steve Buckley in the Athletic wrote, "Yes, Mookie Betts is missed on the on the Red Sox. What's also missed is the year in year out passion to roll out a product that's not only in contention but also in your face. But with the ever expanding succession sounding Fenway Sports Group so far flung that its portfolio now includes a Premier League team and an, an NHL team and an outfit that competes in the NASCAR Xfinity Series among many other ventures, the sobering reality is that it's not just the Red Sox that keep Henry and Werner up at night if they keep them up at all. It's not that they don't care; it's that they don't see and they don't listen." So he's, of course, putting more of the blame on, on Henry. And listen, you want to blame an owner for how a, a team is being run, how an organization is failing. You should do that. And you'll probably be pretty correct. Like, this is not a love letter to owners. But it's just I noticed that and it wasn't even in like written up think pieces or anything. It was like you saw social media posts from reporters saying like, well, I had one interaction with Bloom in this year and he was so friendly. And here's a picture we took together. And it's like this guy is just getting all these what roses thrown at to- him. What does that have to do with his job performance? That has nothing to do with it. The nicest, you know, I was just going to make a totally inappropriate reference. Never mind. Uh, you know, it. he could be a nice person and still be at fault for for this. Like, And there can't be more than one person to blame. Like there doesn't have to be, it, like the buck doesn't have to stop with one person. Just because Bloom got yes. fired doesn't mean he was or was not at fault. It means he was one of the people at fault. But unfortunately, because he doesn't, he's not one of the owners that, of the team, he works for them. He doesn't get to stay. He has to go when things go south or they get tired of you. And Annie McAuliffe of The uh, the Athletic also wrote, uh, to your point, ownership bears responsibility for the bizarre two-step over the past year, when the team first failed to sign Xander Bogarts to an extension and then underbid him by about $160 million before pivoting to a $313.5 million extension for Rafael Devers. The Red Sox seemed confused about who they wanted to be this entire time. The spiral began when the franchise parted ways with bets a year ahead of his free agency. 
Uh, McCullough also wrote that Bloom's fatal flaw was looking down the road too far and being at his most flat-footed when he was on a clock, like at the trade deadline. He essentially wrote that Bloom did do some things that upset his clubhouse. He did some things that upset the front office, and he he was just finding ways to tick people off on both sides of his job. But this was all part of a tenure that was derailed from the start when John Henry tasked him with trading their new superstar, Mookie, Mookie Betts, which he did. So again, the gush of love from the baseball writing world indicates that the narrative will be Bloom was yanked into a bad spot, forced to make moves he didn't want to make, and then got blamed and fired. But as you're saying, he kind of knew what the job was when he was going in, and he also got to decide who they got back in the deal for Mookie Betts, Mm -hmm. which I believe that was a disaster. So, you know, that is on him. Also, going into that job, he sold himself to ownership as a guy who could achieve the same level of success at a fraction of the price. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, the, that's that like tech bro mindset that you just see everywhere now, especially making its way into sports where these guys come in and they say like, I can do this because I'm really smart and I have all this experience and I've looked at all these numbers and I can cut your payroll in half and still deliver World Series titles and also uh, have, have a great farm system that keeps pumping talent into our team. And frankly, that sounds so good. I don't believe that can happen. It certainly can't happen quickly, even though it, it can't. even even if it's like, but even if it does happen, it can't happen everywhere. Like you got to understand that there's, there's so many things that will go wrong along that path that you can't, like it will take a long time to reach that point. And uh, it takes, it, it will take so long that all you're going to be doing is looking down the road as he was accused of doing. And you're going to, you're going to miss stuff. You're just going to miss stuff. Things aren't going to work out. Players aren't going to work out. Prospects aren't going to work out. Trades aren't going to work out. Guys are going to get hurt. You know, this is, this is going to happen. So to sell yourself is like, I can get you to a world series too. And guess what? I don't have to be Dave Dombrowski and spend a bunch of money to do it. Well, that's usually a pretty good way to do it because the best players are worth more money. Yeah. I mean, and one thing to notice is that he worked with Andrew Friedman. The two of them worked together. And Friedman is the one who really started the flip of the organization from perennial losers to, you know, a lean, mean winning machine. Like, he's the one that started that and helped build the farm system. And Bloom was part of that as well. But he once Friedman left for the Dodgers where his skills as um, like a player evaluator and a deal maker were given resources, you know, a farm system that was already looking good that he only added to um, and like so much money, so much money to get the players he wanted, you know, he, you know, really excelled there and Bloom was able to spend time in, uh, in Tampa kind of, you know, building his own teams for a few years, but also benefiting greatly from the structure that Friedman put up for him. And so I don't necessarily know if he was actually really ready for this in the way he thought he was. Because, you know, there there's some pressure as part of the Rays, but there's a lot less than when you're, you know, on the clock for the Red Sox, making moves, doing the draft, you know, m- you know making an offer for a free agent. There's a lot more in in that. And you also sort of have to be decent to work with and not a huge pud, which seems like Blue might have been, judging by uh, McAuliffe's article. 
Well, someday when Bloom is being inducted into the Hall of Fame for overseeing as an executive <laughs> multiple championship teams, uh, I hope that Red Sox fans can take solace in the fact that he, he you know, that, that this was all just a four year lesson for, for Haim Bloom. Uh, and, uh, you know, it went on to benefit him uh, elsewhere. As he, you know, achieves greatness potentially in other places, because it certainly seems like, you know, the media is certainly doing a good job of uh, yeah. getting his resume out there right now. Uh, and all it cost Red Sox fans was Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts. <laughs> yes. I also want to say that ownership's decision to trade Mookie Betts is why the one of the reasons why the Phillies are where they are, because reportedly that's. Dombrowski did not want to do that. And that was apparently one of the main reasons he was fired. Interesting. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. seem like a Dombrowski deal. Let's trade away no. this guy. Like, he's the guy that he's the guy on the other end of that. He's the guy on the Dodgers side who's like, yeah, let's get Mookie Betts. He's available. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the easiest trade. You want one of our eight billion? Like, we have a huge sack. Uh, we have like a Mary Poppins bag of prospects here. We could just reach in and grab. You want a few? We could give you a few. There you go. Well, the bag's got a hole in it. Didn't even realize. They've just nope. been falling out. <laughs> and we have so many, I didn't even notice. Yeah. So that's why Dave Dombrowski was free and why the Phillies ended up getting him. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. An eventful off day for the Phillies as things were just happening elsewhere. Uh, uh, as we said, high and bloom being let go by the Red Sox, all kinds of colorful conversations going on in the NL East. And in the wildcard race, the Phillies catch another break on Thursday as the Diamondbacks, the Reds, and the Marlins all lost their games, once again softening the blow that was this three-game, three ga uh, losing three games out of four to the Braves at home. Uh, you know, I'm st it's still a series I don't feel great about, given, like, all the context around it, but again, Hopefully this is a chance now. The Phillies are going into St. Louis to play the last place Cardinals. I really, I'll accept a series win, of course, but boy, I'm really thinking sweep here because this team really needs to correct itself against a punching bag. And the Cardinals have largely been that this season. However, it has been a busy week for the last place Cardinals. Adam Wainwright's 199th career win finally happened. Uh, he's having a miserable year. Drew Rahm's first career first career win came, uh, and it came against the Orioles, the team that traded him away. And Richie Palacios got put on a show. Uh, um, uh, uh, Richie Palacios, a young, largely unknown Cardinals prospect, uh, had a hero moment, like uh, just went off against the Orioles. Uh, they were in Baltimore, and Palacios, a former Towson player, so it was something of a homecoming for him, uh, he yeah. hit two home runs on Tuesday off the bench and then hit a home run Wednesday night. That was the difference in a one to nothing victory over the Orioles, who were confidently leading the AL East at one point recently, but are now stuck in a frantic slap fight to keep the Tampa Bay Rays back. So the Cardinals have some garbage time energy, it seems. The burden of even being a decent looking ball club long removed from their shoulders. They have won seven of their last 10 games. They have won three straight series against the Braves, Reds, and Orioles, all of whom have at least a chance to reach the postseason with the uh, with Atlanta and Baltimore being among the best in their respective leagues. Did I mention all nine of those games were on the road too? And by the way, guess who's pitching for the Phillies tonight? <laughs> oh, good. 
Is it Go Aaron ahead. Nola? Go ahead. Is it Aaron Nola? It's Aaron Nola. No. <laughs> no. So let me, let, me, let me ask you, Liz. Is this the worst possible time for the Phillies to have to face the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals? You know, it doesn't seem like a great moment. Uh, it doesn't seem terribly opportune or fortuitous. But I will say, I'm going to guess they're pretty pissed off after looking like such crap at various times uh, against the Braves and making many of their fans, like me, angry uh, and frustrated. Poor John, I think, might pull out his hair before the end of the We're season. We're all a little, little We're all worried little... about John. He is, yeah. uh, he's, his, his nerves are more frayed than I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, and it really just gets worse year after year. <laughs> So I, just for John's sake, <laughs> he's not listening, right? We, we can no, I don't think that. so. I don't think so. Uh, we're all worried about you, John. We love you. Uh, but like, this is a, a bad time. But like, the the Phillies are probably pretty pissed off, and so I could see them getting back on track. Right? I could see them getting back on track. They're playing them in in St. Louis. They love to go mm-hmm. into a stadium and silence a crowd. I hate I hate St. Louis. I would like to I would like uh, a sweep too. I would very much like like them to sweep the Cardinals. A sweep would be the quickest way to make people forget about what recently happened. And yes. for the record, Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt have terrible career numbers against Nola. They both have uh, seen him like I'll have over 20 at bats, I believe, or around or over 20 at bats against him in their careers. And they both are hitting under 200 against him. So I won't, you know, I, I remain, I won't be satisfied by anything other than a sweep. And, you know, if there's one nugget of positive Aaron Nola-ness, uh, that that's probably it. Zach Thompson is the Cardinals scheduled starter for tonight. He has not seen the Phillies much and they are a collective 0 for 8 against him, with seldom-seen bench player Rodolfo Castro having the most exposure to Thompson and going 0 for 3. Probably not going to get in it bad against him tonight. We'll see what I happens. I hope not. Uh, I wish we'd seen social media posts of the Phillies like doing something together yesterday, like when they went to Alcatraz in San Francisco. I just like smiling and having a good time, visiting the arch or whatever, just to see that they shook off the Brave series and were like trying to stay loose and reboot. I mean, they might have done that in whatever way they did. I'm just saying, like for our benefit, I think it would it would have been good yeah. to see that because because this is it. This series will determine if this recent bout of coming up small in big moments is. A stumble or a spiral is that fair i think that's entirely fair uh this is as we've said many times before the most important series of the season so <laughs> get ready for it uh yeah i mean i there are other good things that could happen if things go wrong even disastrously wrong this weekend there's still chances they could make the playoffs and i you know but this is this is important this is a ridiculously important series and we are, we should, I want to feel lucky that they are facing the Cardinals who suck and the, who the Phillies have played and demolished this year already. And, you know, who have two stars that have terrible numbers against the first starter they're going to see. I think those are all, that's a, all recipe for a good start. And that's what the Phillies need. They need a good start. They need to take an actual early lead that's a real lead. And they need to maintain it or at least continue to add to it. Like those are these are things we need to see. We need to see these things.
Aaron Nola's good at anything, it's sticking to the plan. So Great. yes, <laughs> let's uh, let's hope that happens as the Phillies head to St. Louis and try to shake off their miserable series against the Braves. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Hitting Season. As always, if you want to see our most recent episodes, uh, go to billypen.com slash Season. All of that fun Phillies content will appear there as we uh, as we complete it. And if you need bonus content, if you just can't get enough Phillies talk, head on over to the Hitting Season Patreon at patreon.com slash Season, uh, where all kinds of extra Phillies content is available for at least $5 a month. Liz, any final thoughts to share before we uh, begin what is, again, the most important series of the season? Um, you know, earlier today I thought of something. I'm like, that should be my final thought. And that was the last time I thought of it, and uh, I have no clue what it was. So <laughs> enjoy your weekend, folks. <laughs> That's all I got. In some ways, it still is your final thought. It still counts. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening from WHYY and Billy Penn. I'm Justin Clue. I'm Liz Rocher. And this has been Hitting Season.